What's up, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Clinical Mastermind Podcast. I am your host, Dan Pringle, and today I sit down with chiropractor Matt McGrath to talk about his work with the Women's Professional Tennis Tour. Hey, guys. Welcome to another edition of the Clinical Mastermind Podcast. Today, I've got something really exciting. If you guys have ever wondered what it's like to uh, to get behind the scenes with a professional athlete and see what it's like, the kind of injuries that they're experiencing, um, the type of challenges that exist when you're traveling with them over a longer period of time in a grueling um, schedule and taking you to multiple continents in a very short period of time, uh, I've got a treat for you. My guest today is Matt McGrath. Uh, he's a chiropractor that I've known for about seven years. He works uh, with Athletes Care here in Toronto, but he's the primary chiropractor and therapist for Madison Keys, who's a very accomplished women's tennis player, um, American player, and uh, he's worked with her uh, very closely over the last number of years. Um, a really amazing opportunity for us to kind of dive into both how he got where he is and the types of challenges uh, and the situations that we often kind of are curious about, uh, but maybe also take for granted when it comes to a professional athlete and preparing for games and matches. So what I've got in this conversation, about the first half is figuring out how we ended up there. Was there something specific? Were there moments? Was it always a destiny? Was it something he had a goal to accomplish for a long period of time? Or was it more on the other side of things where it was kind of all of a sudden it just kind of happenstance? So you'll hear about how he ended up where he is now and, and kind of what that journey looked like, how long it took. Uh, and then you'll get a sense on kind of in the second half about what he actually is doing now, what it's like to travel from uh, Wimbledon to somewhere in China to back to North America and, and what it's like to spend every single day and how he makes the most of the opportunities when he's not treating her to actually get the most information that will help him treat her and understand her body effectively. Learning what load management is a big term that we talk about nowadays. So how does he integrate that in, in, in a long two-week Grand Slam tournament uh, when he's in you know, France with, with this talented athlete who may go you know, two weeks and continue to play or maybe out after three days. So there's a lot of really interesting discussions that I, I, I get to have with, uh, with Matt and, and some really interesting questions. I hopefully, hopefully you'll appreciate them as much as I did um, and a great way for us to get a sense behind the scenes about what it is like to manage uh, a high performance athlete who's one of the few in the world who's lucky enough to have someone travel with them on a regular basis. I'm hoping to do a little bit more of these types of podcasts going forwards where I actually get some of the amazing and talented and successful uh, people around me. So hopefully uh, these, this is something that you'll be excited about. Please uh, let me know. And to do that, you can visit me at clinicalmastermind.com. You can email me at dan at clinicalmastermind.com. Check me out on Instagram. I'm doing a lot of uh, new videos these days uh, called Functional Spotlights where I'm actually diving into some of the areas that people don't know uh, in terms of the anatomy and talking about some functionally relevant uh, assessment and treatment uh, uh, implications as well as thinking about how the functional anatomy is something that we need to pay more attention to to understand the body in detail. You can find me on Twitter at dpringle underscore physio. And, uh, and also find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash dpringle without an E. That's D-P-R-I-N-G-L. Um, again, you're going to see the functional spotlights and some more exclusive content that, that I'm putting just on YouTube as well. So make sure you check that out. 
Uh, other than that, uh, please uh, continue to share uh, the, the podcast, share the, uh, the social media content on Instagram, uh, and, uh, and please uh, continue to push yourself, get better at what you do, and, and put the extra time in because it pays off for yourself in the long term, and it pays off immediately for your patients who know there's someone who cares about them and is willing to do whatever it takes. With that being said, please enjoy the podcast. All right, what's up, guys? I'm here with uh, Matt McGrath. He's uh, he's here with me in Burlington. We just finished uh, teaching today at the McMaster Contemporary Acupuncture Program. Matt, when did you start teaching at Mac? Oh, uh, probably 2011, I believe. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're at uh, what is that? Eight years now, and for me, this is year seven, I think. Um, Actually, I took the course seven years ago, but I've, okay. been, I've been teaching since 2014, so I'm on five years right now. Okay. Right. Uh, anyways, I'm really happy to have you here today. Um, Matt is a uh, Cairo. He graduated from uh, Canadian, Canadian Memorial Chiropractic College in 2009. He is the uh, team chiropractor for Madison Keys, a, a very accomplished uh, women's tennis player. Previous experience working with the track team with the University of Texas. He went to the Rio 2016 Olympics with the British Virgin Islands. Uh, anything else I'm forgetting? Uh, maybe, uh, well, no, that, that's kind of, I guess the, the, the big ones, um, and just various work, I guess, with, um, kind of consulting certain players and teams with NHLPA and, and stuff like that. Gotcha. Um, as well as just, uh, maintaining practice in, in Toronto. So it's awesome. Um, so Matt, I really, I'm glad to, to have you on. You're, you're someone that uh, I've obviously seen uh, in passing in a lot of ways as we've been teaching over the last number of years and, and uh, always learned a lot from you and kind of with you over time. We did the dissection course in Arizona together. Right, yeah. uh, we've done a lot of different things. But uh, I don't know if you knew this, but you were the first neurofunctional practitioner that I worked with. Oh, yeah, because at Athletes Care in Scarborough. At Athletes Care in Scarborough. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that would have been 2013. I took okay. the course in the fall of 2012. Right. And uh, I got a job kind of out of that at Athletes Care, and you were the first one that I got, I got exposed to. I remember shouting okay. a little bit, asking some questions. So uh, definitely helped me on that journey uh, to kind of where I am now. So, uh, oh, that's awesome. No, you know what? I do actually remember that because I remember you um, asking about like some of the advanced courses and stuff yep. like that. And then you kind of uh, – and then when you are taking that and then you had gone off and, and done your own thing. But uh, I can't believe that was that long ago. Like, that's, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, 2013. Yeah. <laughs> that's six years ago. So obviously a lot's uh, happened for both of us since right. then. Um, a lot of really amazing kind of accomplishments that you've, you've had over the last little while. Um, but let's, uh, before we kind of talk more, because I'd love to hear more about what you do with, with Madison, what it's been like traveling and working as a, like a one-on-one consultant for an athlete. Um, but let's go back first and talk a little bit about how you ended up here. So... Um, were you like I know you play sports now? Did you play a lot of sports growing up in high school? Like, what was that like? Yeah, I played. I mean, growing up, I played um, hockey, volleyball, rugby, baseball were probably the most consistent ones. Definitely hockey and volleyball were kind of my two my two big ones, um, which I had to give up because I'm clearly very very short. So I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't going too far in in volleyball. I was obviously a setter. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I was, I was always just really active, um, as, as a kid all through high school and all through, you know, university. I didn't, I didn't play, I guess I gave up sort of organized sport, um, or club sport in, in university, but I still tried to stay relatively, you know, active through, through sports. I've never been a guy that can like, you know, get himself to go to the gym and be disciplined that way so much. So sports is kind of a way to 
to stay more active and stay in, stay in shape. So yeah, I've always been in, in sports in some, some capacity, I would say. Did you, did you imagine yourself, like for instance, myself, I played a lot of sports, you know, various competitive levels, and I always tried to, I imagined myself wanting to be involved in sports in some aspect. Did you have that? Um, I, I don't think I had it. Well, I, I, will say, I will say I had no idea what I wanted to do at the end of high school. I just knew I liked sports and I knew that in some capacity I thought I would enjoy it. And I think like a lot of kids um, who, are, who are finishing high school, they're kind of, it's just thrust upon them and they're expected, you know, this is the next step, go to university or college. So I said, hey, you know, I like sports. Uh, I, enjoy, I took a, a kin course in OAC. Um, I'm dating myself. That's when there was, there was uh, OAC in, <laughs> yep. in high school. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And um, so, so I thought, hey, you know, what the heck, I'll, I'll try. I'll apply for some kinesiology um, uh, programs for university. Um, I'm a terrible math student. And uh, at the time, uh, Brock University didn't require an OAC math uh, to get into their kinesiology program. Uh, so that kind of worked out. I, did you have math and you just got a bad mark in it or you <laughs> didn't even take it? I didn't even take it. Okay. I, I stopped at grade 11 okay. and I thought, you know what? Okay, I'm going to give it a shot. Maybe I can uh, I can do, because I think in OAC it was like calculus, algebra, and, and geometry, and finite were the three that you could take. Yeah. Um, and finite was supposed to be the easiest. So I'm like, oh yeah, I can maybe squeak out like a 50 in, fi- in <laughs> finite. Um, and I think... By, by the time like the midterm test came around, I was something that around like, I don't know, like 36%. <laughs> and I was just like, yep, yeah, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not wasting my time with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I just kind of dropped that. Um, Where'd you go? You did Ken at Brock then, I did right? Ken at Brock, okay. yeah. And what was that experience like? Like I know a lot of people who do Ken end up working with teams and they're doing athletic therapy type work. Were you doing any of that? I know Brock's big for that. I wasn't, uh, while I was in undergrad, I wasn't doing anything, uh, anything like that. It was basically just, you know, going to class and kind of learning like the, the majority, I guess, of, of our class. Um, and I had no really concept of what I wanted to do after. I, I knew that I still kind of wanted to sort of work with sports and athletes in some capacity, but I didn't know what that was. And it wasn't until probably going into or partway through my fourth year where I figured like, wow, I, I guess the real world is coming and I'm going to need to figure something out <laughs> right. um, sooner than later. So um, that's, I guess, when I started thinking about, you know, the next step, what I was going to do in terms of like graduate school, because I sort of felt that um, basically 90% of my class seemed like it was going to a teacher's college. Yep. And that wasn't really for me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, and then so I, I kind of thought, okay, well, I got to figure something else out. And um, that's when I started researching a little bit more into like Cairo or, or med school or, or some form of, of graduate school. Were you a, like in kin, were you like a high achiever? Were you someone who just did enough to get by? Did you feel confident that you could like figure it out last minute? Or were you someone who like, like give me an idea of what you were like. Were you a hard worker? Had you figured it out? Or were you just kind of going through the motions in undergrad? Probably going through the motions would be the best way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, I've, I have an uncle who is a retired dental surgeon and he sort of said uh, one time to me, he's like, I liked being sort of middle of the pack because <laughs> I like the anonymity of it. <laughs> so you don't stand out for being the worst and you don't stand out for being the best kind of thing, right. which maybe isn't the best sort of grand message uh, to, to give to people. But yeah, I was just kind of like, I was living the university life and not really... I don't want to say not taking it too seriously, but I wasn't, um, 
You hadn't found it. You hadn't no. invested all the energy in it. Not you hadn't figured it out yet. You didn't have your purpose. You didn't have your clear path. You didn't have a passion. You were just kind of learning because you kind of it's a next step and kind of hoping that it would all kind of come together at some point. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Like the next step is is the best sort of, I guess, um, analogy for it is is just it seems like you know okay well I'm done I'm done sort of this section of my education. What am I what am I going to do next? But it was. It was still pretty, uh, it was still pretty ambiguous as to what I was I was going to do. I had I had really no idea. Gotcha. Okay, so you told me this earlier, like Cairo. You don't you weren't really exposed to to chiropractic by any means. You just kind of started doing a bit of research and figuring it out. Like, kind of lay out that process. Was it was it very intentional? Was it just like undergrad? You're like, well, I guess I need to do something in sports medicine now because I have a kin degree. Like, what did that? What was that thought process as you kind of got got to where you ended up? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was very much, um, I just started sort of exploring. I had, I was, had never been to a chiropractor when I was younger. I think I'd gone once with my dad and, um, and just watched him. And I, I remember kind of thinking, oh, that was, that was kind of cool. I didn't understand anything. I was probably, I was in like grade eight or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I, um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I thought about med school and my idea I guess we have to kind of put it in the context of I had no concept of the the healthcare system or how it worked. My idea of a doctor was who I would go and see where and I had like strep throat, you know. So it's someone who's <laughs> sitting there and was like, oh, this is what's wrong with you. Here's a prescription, you know, and, and I just thought I don't want to do that. I had no concept of really like sports medicine, which is weird, I guess, coming from a, a, a kin grad, but it just it wasn't I guess it wasn't focused on too much. Right. Um so I had to sort of actively go out and like look and see, okay, what, where is there something that where I can still have some autonomy into how I want to work with people, um, but still like a, a pretty rigorous um, training and, and education and, and something that's going to be um, like a credential that's going to be, I don't even want to say respected because um, there's a lot of hokey stuff that goes on in the chiropractic profession uh, where that kind of taints it, I think, mm -hmm. which I also didn't know at the time. Right. Um, but yeah, I just needed some some sort of credential to be able to uh, allow me to uh, to have access to to that sort of industry in the sports medicine world, but also that would allow me. I didn't want to get pigeonholed into uh, this is how you have to practice or this is what you have to do. So, and the thing I kind of gravitated to about chiropractic was that there is sort of a range of how mm -hmm. people practice. Right. So um, I, I just felt like it was uh, it would get it for sort of afforded me that luxury of being able to kind of practice how I, I wanted to. Now you had this image of a doctor pretty clearly because you'd been to one. You didn't have an image of a chiropractor, but you must have had enough exposure. Like, do you remember thinking about what a chiropractor was? Because I would say you know you you entered what in two thousand and five. It still yeah. had this at that point in time for the most part this kind of traditional chiropractic practice as the dominating um, approach from what I can understand. So did that, was that something that you were aware of or thought about or, uh, or, or were you aware that there was a different way to be a chiropractor even back then? Um, I was, I was somewhat aware that it was a, a bit of like a, almost like an umbrella term kind mm. of, and I'm fully aware of that now. Um, but my sort of my view of chiropractic was yeah like you know people go in and you a couple of manipulations and then that that's it and that's sort of like an overall health type of thing and unfortunately that's 
the sort of way I educated myself initially when I was going to go to chiropractic college was that's sort of what I focused on. I thought like, oh, no, chiro was like this big like wellness profession. Um, and that's what I, I guess my initial perception of it was. And it wasn't until later when I actually got into chiropractic college and realized that this is, it's, it's, it's very different from how, I, it's one, it's perceived. And two, I think it's very different. And at least the training is very different from the way that, our sort of legislative bodies actually endorse it and and the image that we give to the public it's it's quite different from from what we're actually capable of, of, of doing I would say as in you're you feel like it's it's limited in terms of what it's presented as is that what you mean yeah I feel like I, I feel like if you see I'm sure you've seen on, on TV they have those like cartoon um, and, and I'm not trying to you know bash any sort of governing body or anything by any means but we've sort of, I think the colleges have tried, and I'm not talking about like the academic college, I'm talking about like the governing sort of yeah. colleges, have um, tried to make it into like, well, we want you to be like the dentists of the spine. Right. And I think that's extremely limiting. Um, and I, I, in my opinion, obviously I'm biased, I think we're like the best trained in terms of like neuromuscular physical uh, assessment and stuff and I think we should almost be uh, along with like like I'm talking about our base curriculum um, I think we should almost be like a portal of entry for into the healthcare system for that because you know you're going to go to your your family physician who has their scope of practice is so massive you know they've got a they've got to know about you know everything and a certain amount about everything and then determine if he or she um, wants to refer on to a specialist or say, okay, I know what's going on. We can take care of this. Um, their, their exposure to anatomy and neurophysiology and, and anything neuromusculoskeletal is like, it, it's really, really limited because they have all this other stuff. Right. So whereas uh, chiropractic education, it depends on what school you go to, but um, uh, it's, it's really, a, there's a lot of focus on sort of medical school curriculum but then where we don't have any real, you know, toxicopharmacology knowledge because it's out of our scope of practice, we like are really, really hit hard with, you know, uh, neuroanatomy, neurophysiology, anatomy, biomechanics, like these type of things. Mm. Um, and it's full body. It's not just, you know, I, I, it's just your spine, you know? Yeah. No, I, I consistently see the Cairo students or relatively new grads who take the MAC course, their knowledge of neuroanatomy, neurophysiology is far above and beyond what our physio kind of colleagues are coming out with. Um, whether they know how to apply it and whether are working in an environment where they can apply it is maybe a different story. And that talks, you know, about the slow change but necessary one within all of our professions. Right. But uh, I totally agree with you on, on that point, which is really interesting. Um, so with that in mind, then, you come from this, okay, you know, umbrella term, Cairo, you know, mentality, you're getting exposed to this. You graduate 2009. Um, what is your mindset about what you want to do that? Because coming out of undergrad, you're like, I guess I need a job. Out of Cairo, did you have more clarity at that point, or did it take a while to evolve? Um, I had, to, to be honest with you, I think it, it seems it's hard to think about because it's very surreal. It seems like a completely different life. Um, I, I honestly think the biggest motivating factor is I'm like, oh, wow, I'm about a hundred and twenty or thirty thousand dollars at least in debt. <laughs> yeah. I, I just need money. You know, yeah. I need to start paying this back. And, and I didn't have again, I didn't have necessarily a 
uh, a set sort of um, direction I wanted to go. I knew that I, I didn't want to, I was sort of like almost like staunchly anti-traditional chiropractic. I was, I was, I wanted to be like almost like that, that like self-hating chiropractor who's like, I'm not going to practice like all these traditional chiropractors. I'm going to do this, this, and this. Um, So I I knew I didn't want to be in like a quote unquote, like subluxation based practice. Mm -hmm. Um, So (laughs) unfortunately it's, I ended up taking over a, a practice that was extremely subluxation based and, and very different. And it, provided a lot of unique challenges right uh i learned a lot it probably wasn't the best thing to do when you're like two months out of school and you have no concept of like how to run a business or let alone a practice let alone a practice or you're like i think i remember how to assess this or like you're still regardless of the fact that you just spent you know four years after your undergrad and you've done all this like you know like internship stuff you 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 don't know anything like you you do but you don't you don't know how to apply it in the real world kind of right you think you do but yeah yeah. until you get out there you're like oh man this is like (laughs) not at all like i i thought it was going to be um so yeah i just knew i wanted to practice um you hear like evidence-based or evidence-informed get thrown out all the time um and which is drilled into our head which is great um to almost to a fault right but I knew I wanted to be more in line with that so that I could relate to. I wanted to be able to have like sit down with a GP or a physio or a surgeon and be able to like talk to them as not even necessarily an equal, but someone who they would look at and say like, oh, no, not this crazy chiropractor coming again. Right. Like I wanted to be, you know, I guess I guess respected and in, in, in not just myself, but for the profession as well. Kind of that was sort of my goal. So, all right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I can totally see where, like, where you got that. You know, looking, looking at you, having known you for the last number of years, I can see how that was your mentality at the time. I'm sure it wasn't quite as clear. Um, here you are with this subluxation practice. You're a couple months out of school. You have all this debt. Um, when does it kind of click with you and what happens? Is there a moment when you go from, okay, this is not working. This isn't me. This is exactly what I thought I didn't want to be. How did that evolve from uh, what you were doing then to start to move towards the the amazing success and and opportunities you've had in the last little while? Um, It was it was kind of a it was a gradual, I guess, sort of evolution. I knew I knew what I was doing um, in the practice where I was. I, I wasn't I wasn't happy with it. I also wasn't happy with the location that I was living in, which I think if I had one piece of advice to anyone like make make sure you set up your practice or wh- where you actually want to be happy living because regardless of of what you're doing as a job you need to be happy in the community that you're in mm-hmm. and I, and I wasn't um so on top of that uh just the way I was practicing um I, it was not fulfilling at all so I ended up just honestly taking a job um to get back to Toronto uh I took a job at like an MVA clinic just to say, okay, I need I need some sort of excuse to get me back to the city. Um, so I did that for a few months, and that was absolutely like like soul crushing. <laughs> like it was, yeah. it it, um, it it was great because you knew what you were making every week, uh, and the hourly wage was okay. But I I didn't treat people. I I was filling out forms, and and this industry is is just like it's, uh, it's not, a racket. It's 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 a total racket. You know, so it was, um, and I just, it was hard because I was, I was kind of like perpetuating that and just, and feeding into that cycle. And I didn't, I didn't like it, but luckily, um, 
around the same time I had come back and I was just kind of getting back in the city, um, I got an email um, from Mike Prebeck, and it uh, it's it was um, uh, just an ad saying that Athletes Care was opening another clinic in Scarborough, um, and uh, basically if if like-minded people who had this sort of had taken the neurofunctional um, acupuncture course at Mac. Um, um, wanted to apply, you know, kind of go ahead. So that's how I kind of got my foot in the door. Um, and the timing was just kind of very serendipitous. When did you take the course? 2008. So that was actually while you were in school. Well, yeah. So in my fourth year, uh, I, I took the course. Um, and then I, I moved to Alberta for, I guess, a couple of years, a year and a half. And then I came back to, back to Ontario. Were you using acupuncture back then? Yeah. Yeah. But not, not at all. I, not in this same sense. I was using it kind of here and there. I was, cause I, I still feel I wasn't super comfortable with it. Um, so it wasn't until I came, came back to Ontario and I really started practicing a, a bit of a different method that I was using it, you know, on 95% of, of, of my patients and in, in a different, much more effective way. So this, you're dealing with the experience out West, you're coming back and working at this, as you said, soul-crushing clinic. This opportunity arises, obviously you take advantage of it and get the job. Was there, do you remember competition? Was it a stiff process or was it right time, right place and they were looking for somebody? I, I think it was mostly kind of right place, right time. And also, I mean, I, I went in and I, and I met with Mike and I, I met with Mark Scapatici. And uh, which was really uh, like a big treat for me because in my first year, I believe, of Cairo College, uh, we always had these these conferences. We had to go to as students, and uh, and Scap spoke at one of them. And I remember in my notebook, I starred his name because he was showing. I had never been exposed to acupuncture. I'd never been exposed to any type of the kind of neurofunctional approach to anything. I'm still a first year Cairo student, trying to remember like what a facet joint is. <laughs> um, and uh, and I, I heard him speak and, and his experience, you know, with, with Donovan Bailey and with the Olympics and all that stuff. And I remember, like, writing beside his name, like, talk to this guy. And then everything just sort of, you know, whatever. People go, go their separate ways and stuff. And then here I was, you know, a few years later, like, hanging out with him, meeting him, shadowing him. And, and same thing with, with Mike and everything. And it, everything kind of came full circle. And I was like, this is very strange how this how this kind of happened. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was probably the best decision I've, I've ever made, I, I would say. What, um, what stood out? Like you, most people don't get an opportunity to learn from some of these best people. What do you think stood out in you that they suck? What did they see in you that get, was like, I want to give this guy an opportunity because I, I, I believe he has this potential. Because at this point, up until that point, as far as your practice had been concerned, there wasn't a level of excellence. At least, you know, you're reflecting on that, not feeling that way. So what do you think right. they saw in you? Uh, I I don't know. I think you'd have to ask them. Um, I, I think uh, the, the interview was interesting. It wasn't so much an interview as it was, I remember um, kind of coming in and it was basically like, show me what you can do. Um, <laughs> needle me, treat me. Mike or Scap? Or? Mike. Okay. And of course, like, you're like, I'm like, Shh. I'm like, oh my God, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was, it was super informal, but also there was no like fluff, like, where do you see yourself in five years or, you know, stuff yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he just kind of put me on the spot and, and did it. And he's like, okay, you know, that was good. You know, this kind of needs some work. Um, I want you to kind of, kind of shadow me, shadow scap. And then I, I think it's just, I don't know, maybe they just saw that I was eager to learn. I, um, 
I, I didn't, I wasn't like a complete, because some people, you can have all these tools and you can be like a, a straight A student, but you just, and you can take all these courses, but if, if you don't have hands, I don't know if it's like an innate thing, but if you don't have some sort of like concept of like how you should be handling tissue and doing stuff. Just then, interacting with the body. Yeah, like I, I, certain things, and I'm not saying I have that, uh, maybe I was just, I, I was receptive to what they were teaching, but I, I just kind of feel like maybe they just saw like this is someone that we can maybe I don't know, mold a little bit or something, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to toot my own horn there. Maybe I, I potentially just got lucky, you know? <laughs> well, you know, I, either way, you know, you were able to take advantage of the opportunity, and I think that's important as well. I know there's a lot of other people who would, um, who would, you know, have their ego kind of come first in that kind of respect and start to learn from them and then, you know, blast it to the world that they're the best, look right. down on other people. And I think that's one of the things that's been so impressive um, in the time that I've spent with you over the last number of years is like there's there's so much kind of humbleness that comes out in in this conversation. You're, you've always been, you know, very quick to identify the strengths in other people and, and diminish yours even uh, at times. But nonetheless, you know, more opportunities to excel uh, and perform at the highest level and create, get new opportunities. They they just keep coming for you, which which I think is a testament to pro- both your skill and also your personality. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, yeah. I know it's 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 obvious. So with that, things start to snowball. I, mm-hmm. I, I assume. So now you're learning from these guys. They're creating opportunities for you to work with. I guess probably the NHLPA and the the track and field stuff. And is that is that kind of how things evolve? Yeah, I think I, I think um, between that and then. And doing some ad- advanced work um, through McMaster with with Alejandro and um, um, and things like that, and, and kind of I basically would just try to be a sponge. Like I would I would sort of just listen to these people talk, watch what they did, um, and then I think that the more that these people, I guess either either see your confidence increase or their confidence in you, um, then then you get these opportunities because at the end of the day you're not only representing yourself as a as a therapist or a clinician you're you're representing a name so i you know i want people to be proud and not worry about if i'm going out and representing say athletes care or sports therapy services or the fit institute or something like that i i want to um i have to keep that in mind both both in a professional sense but also um you you want to be like you know, we're held to the highest of standards, and people expect when you're, when you hear, you know, Mike Prebeg, Mark Scappatici, Alejandro, like when you hear these names, there's already this sort of idea and um, and and respect that is out there. When and people who the people who are in the know, they know. Right. So y- there's a bit of pressure. You want to kind of uphold that, but at the same time, you want to, you know, you want to do justice and do well by them as well. So I think that. Um, that sort of pushes you to do well. So whenever you do get these opportunities, you want to make the most of them. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I guess it just kind of, you, you get one, hopefully you hope that you hope that it goes well. And then once you get to a certain level, it, it's a very incestuous industry, right? Yeah. Like I think any, anytime you're working in at a professional level um, in any industry, there's a very small select group of people who all know each other and know each other's skills and know each other's skeletons and, and stuff like that. So, um, if if you can you know do, do a good job and 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 kind of pe- people talk and then I guess you just get you get more opportunities that way. So speaking of opportunities, mm-hmm. talk to me about tennis. How did you get involved in tennis, and how has that changed kind of over time? 
Um, I, I initially got involved, uh, I worked a little bit, like very briefly with uh, Jeannie Bouchard in, I guess it would have, I want to say like 2014, maybe 2015, um, some some stuff through, through Tennis Canada. And um, at the time, uh, she had uh, parted ways with her strength coach, who then uh, went on to work with, with Madison Keys. And um, so myself and a, a couple of the chiropractors that I work with uh, had sort of been introduced to, to Madison that way. And um, it, it just really, her and I clicked really well. It, it worked um, It worked very well. So we were, we were doing some stuff together. And um, yeah, but kind of, you know, you always you go through this sort of trial period where y- you have to click personally and professionally. Um, so our everything just went really smooth right from the get-go. Um, and then that sort of went into, you know, this like a little bit of training weeks. And then we, you know, we'd go to some, some tournaments, whether it be, um, say something in Canada or be overseas or, you know, end up at, at Wimbledon or end up at the French open or something like that, or in China. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess it, it just sort of, um, we, we got along well, which is the most important thing. I think she saw maybe some, some good results in terms of, of just like, maybe a little bit of decrease in injuries or time off as a result of injury. Um, because to be honest, there's not a ton of performance care in the, it, we're, we're still kind of in, in, in you'd be you'd kind of surprised where you get into these like elite sports and stuff yeah. when you're still like, wow, like these, these people aren't, some of them aren't getting, um, aren't getting a lot of care to be proactive about things, right? It, it's, it's very reactive. So if you can do things to kind of either extend careers I mean, I mean, look at like, like Serena and Venus and, and and Fed and and all these all these people now that are you know playing, still top level tennis into their thirties and late thirties. Yeah. Um, it's it's the trend is going that way, but but yeah, I, I think that um, when people see value in in performance care and and proactive stuff, it makes it easier to kind of stay there. I, I suppose, right? Yeah. No, I mean, the t- tennis is stupid yeah, in terms of the schedule, the amount of time that they are on court per day the amount of time per week the number of long matches back to back the off time like what is it like a month it, it's it almost doesn't exist it's insane like no other sport has no. that quite to that degree no. and then of course there's like the weekly schedule you know as opposed to we talked about this earlier nba schedule you know when you're playing in february right. if you're kyle lowry you have no idea what you're going to be doing, what things are going on in terms of tournaments, in terms of points, in terms of sponsors. There's so many other factors that go into play. Right. So it's and it's, it just seems absolutely necessary for you to have uh, a, a team that you can rely on. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you know, talking more kind of specifically about managing an athlete, a tennis player at, at this level. Um, you know, kind of give us a better idea. Are most of these athletes like constantly broken, or <laughs> like are they are are we constantly dealing with this supraspinatus thing that's just never ending, and it's just they have to keep playing, or is you know from the experience you've had, are the athletes generally, um, you know, pretty good minus a couple little things? Um. I, I think that comes down a lot to the style of play. So if someone is a fairly efficient with how they play, they're typically not going to break down as well. So like the example of say like what you watch someone like Roger Federer play, who's it's almost most people describe it as like it's like a dance. Yeah. Like he's he's elegant. He's like it's it's very fluid. Yeah. 
And then you look at someone like Nadal, who's like a pit bull, who is just, you know, like you, you, you basically have to kill him to, to beat him, right? Like it's just, <laughs> yeah. um, but you also see how Rafa has had more ongoing issues in terms of just like uh, musculoskeletal kind of like breakdown stuff. It's, it's, it's just, it's totally different style of play. So I think that's a super important aspect in terms of that. But um, yeah, like there's, there's uh, to be honest with you, there's a lot of times where your your job as a as a therapist is to just try and make sure that they can get through the this match yeah um and and then and then also yeah you, you just have to be like you have to be honest with them and say like is it in your best interest at this point in time to to be playing right um or do you need to kind of take a take a step away um but yeah it's it's like you say it's it's extremely grueling yeah like some people get you know a week or two off for the for the year yeah and also like the travel it's not like like you were saying you're playing basketball or something you're traveling within the continental u.s and canada right like this is this is like okay now i'm in london now i'm flying to dubai now i'm flying back to the u.s now I'm, you know like, like the travel alone is insane so not only are you dealing with the sheer volume and repetitive kind of strain and and issues that are uh, are kind of adding up cumulatively over time but then you've got all this like metabolic stuff from stress of flying. Um, you, you're constantly staying in hotels. Then the stress of the sport on top of it, um, and like you said, not knowing where you're going to be. If, if you're if you're trying to sort of focus and get to the the end of like let's say like the finals at the end of the year, you're, you're basically bouncing around saying where can I get the most points. So you could be just in a different continent for three weeks in a row. Yeah. So it's it's incredible. Like these are. I, I don't, and I didn't understand that until I was I saw kind of behind the curtain of how how difficult and how grueling it, it is for these these athletes. Um, we see everything kind of the glitz and the glamour of yeah. all, all the grand slams and everything, but uh, it's it's a really really intense difficult grind for them for sure. Yeah, I always kind of imagined it was like a whole process. Like there's, I mean, literally, you know, we, we've discussed this. There's a team that travels with her wherever she goes a strength coach you said looks after some of the nutrition there's at least one therapist there mm -hmm. at all periods of time there's one to two coaches depending on what's going on like there's a there's a big kind of uh group that are that's basically full job is looking after her and that's pretty really anyone who can afford it in the top you know probably 10 or 20 in the world right yeah um so that's that's it of everybody who who uh, who's playing. Everyone else is kind of figuring it out as they go, which makes it really difficult in in sense just there alone to crack the top twenty because you don't sure. have the the type of care. You might not have a full time coach. You may split a coach with two or three different players on tour. I know that's a thing that happens. So I can appreciate that the challenges are are, are pretty significant for them. From your perspective, what is the biggest challenge that you have versus? the high school athlete or the recreational athlete that you're working with back in the clinic, like what is the biggest challenge in working with her on a weekly basis when you're, when you're traveling with her? Um, I, I just think the pressure is a little bit different because the pressure on you, the pressure on, yeah, as a therapist, the pressure you want to, cause sometimes it's sort of the last line of, you know, that you could be potentially contributing to the difference between, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, yeah. in in winnings, right? So there's there's that sense of pressure. You want to, you know, you obviously want to do a, a good job, but also um, you you don't want to make it seem almost redundant treatment wise either, right? So uh, sometimes things are going really really well, 
um, and you have to find, you might notice that, okay, like this maybe isn't moving as efficiently as it could be or, or uh, something is a little bit inhibited, but you know, you've been playing really well and do I, do I do something that's going to potentially, you know, neuromodulate something and actually have a like deleterious effect on how you move? Like, yeah, you may have more mobility, but is this going to like affect, you know, your serve or something like that or, or how you're moving? So I think the challenge is one, and it's an exciting challenge because there's, there's more pressure to, to make sure yeah. your athlete is, is, is healthy. But also, you really have to kind of make sure that um, you're, you're almost not over-treating. A lot of times, in, in particularly in these like two-week-long tournaments, uh, sometimes you'll, you'll have to get to a point where um, your, your treatments and your stuff actually become a lot shorter um, and a lot, I guess, less intense because you, you don't want to tire the person out. You're dealing with all this sort of metabolic stress and everything. Um, as, as the stress of the tournament goes on, um, sometimes you actually have to almost like reel it in and take a little bit of a step back and um, not pu- push too much because then people just get, you know, just worn down. Because, I mean, treatment's hard on your body sometimes too, right? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm fascinated by that concept because I've heard this many times over uh, with track athletes down in Arizona with Altus. They were talking about when do you mess with something, when do you not? I've heard Alejandro refer to, you know, in some cases it's an adaptation or a compensation we need to keep. Um, and you're just mentioning it now as well. I, I really want to spend a, another minute kind of diving into that yeah. with you because um, it's something that's a little bit harder for people to wrap their mind around. In their mind, I'm treating, I'm helping the body, I'm helping the nervous system. But in reality, for those changes to happen, the nervous system has to undergo some real meaningful change, which is metabolically draining, you know, energetically draining, especially with uh, already stressed physically and emotionally and mentally kind of uh, you know, athlete. So, um, can you give me like an, an, uh, like a more specific example of a time when you were like, you know what, I know this is here, but I'm concerned that if I treat this, I'll actually set somebody back rather than, um, giving them more to work with. Um, hmm. Let me see. So I would say, um, there have been times where, um, I'll be I'll be getting so so we'll be like deeper in in a tournament or something, and it's almost like the more you work with someone and the more you've been working on someone, you can see how how tissue changes for the better. And if you've been treating someone, you know, twice a day for a week and a half, it's amazing how how you can see the the quality of tissue and and the health is is generally quite good. You know, barring any sort of you know issue that they've had um, where they've injured themselves. As opposed to someone, <clears throat> excuse me, who um, is just like you see once or once or twice a week um, in clinic, and you don't see these as dramatic changes. So right. there have been times where I've actually had to. It's kind of like peeling away layers of an onion, where you're like, you know, I could really go into depth with this like the sort of posterior hip capsule thing that I know has been tight for probably years, or this um, sort of this subtalar issue that's been an issue chronically. Um, but do I do this n- now when all of a sudden you've got way more mobility in your calcaneus or your um, sort of your external rotation when you're kind of swinging across your body and your hip is that much more? Is is this potentially going to like throw off some sort of like perception issue? 
um, and, and proprioception issues. So I, I've had to, it, it's difficult, right? Because you, you were trained sometimes in clinic to be like, okay, do as much as you can quickly uh, and, and get, the, get the results fast. Um, so there have been times where, yeah, I've had to say, okay, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure this is moving effectively and efficiently, but I'm not going to try and get more range of motion because potentially there could be, there's probably a benefit to, you know, this being a little bit tighter, you know, hmm. maybe if it's, if it's too loose, like you've heard about in track, you know, people warm up too much. They're too loose. There's not, it's like that elasticity, that power is actually, it is gone, right? You need yeah. to be able to have the sort of that dynamic sort of explosive power very similar in, in tennis and if you're kind of too mobile in certain cases um, it, it's really gonna it's gonna mess it up particularly in sort of mid-season form you don't want to be tweaking stuff you almost want to be sort of maintaining a, a happy level of status quo almost and then addressing um, addressing those needs as, as they sort of arise and then if you have you know a, a week or two off then you can say all right look we're gonna get this moving a lot better then you also have to go to the coach and to the the, the trainer and, and say, look, this is what we're going to work on. So if you notice that, you know, he or she is doing something a little bit different in practice, it might take them a practice or two to kind of get used to this kind of this this tweak. Because yeah. neurologically, they've been doing this for 10 years and they're, they're used to this. Um, if we can improve this, it, it, it eventually is going to improve overall, but it might actually be like a, taking a, a step back for, for a couple of days. Yeah. Um, so try not to get you know like like frustrated with with that situation. Um, one of the things that well, I've, I have a couple other things I really want to get to. One is along that same line, um, I because I have this with my high school athletes and the couple of pro athletes that I work with is this constant fear of what if I'm missing something and they're about to get hurt? What if they're about to step the wrong way or lunge a little harder for a ball and there goes a hamstring, there goes a groin injury that sets off something in their back. How do you manage that, and have you gotten better? Do you think at picking up major signs that something's going wrong? Uh, yeah, I, I think the big thing is is um, getting better um, at, at, your, at observation, I guess. So you can almost pick up these things to a certain extent before they're going to happen. Um, so you'll notice certain pattern, patterns where it looks like, uh, and this is in any sport, like something's kind of breaking down a little bit. Yeah. So it's, um, and again, like you, you mentioned Altus, where they'll, they'll talk about sort of like when you're trying to, to, to stress yourself, almost like moving out of your comfort zone a little bit, but you're, you're on that knife edge, right? Where you want to be able to react to things super dynamically and be able to do it in a practice state so that you can do that in the gameplay, but also not push it too much that you're actually injuring yourself. So, um, I think the the most important thing is then watching because I'll, I'll watch every practice. Um, some some people will just go out, you know, they'll say, okay, go off and practice and come let me know how it felt. But I, I just feel like I'm doing a bit of a disservice. One, yeah. it, it helps me because I, I learn more about a sport I'm working with, but also I get to see, okay, there's this sort of pattern in the body language um, if it's if it's kind of changing. So there's certain things where you can objectively see in. Um, as opposed to just getting the subjective feelings of like, ah, you know, when I was when I was kind of doing this, like I hitting this slice or something like that, this felt kind of weird. But you can almost you can see that and almost pick these things out before and kind of right. preemptively, you know, know not know all the time, but get a bit of an idea gotcha. um, on on what the athlete's going to tell you. 
yeah. sort of. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it just sounds like like everything else. Exposure, experience. Yeah. You taking the opportunity to actually observe rather than just like letting, you know, relying on other people's information. The more you get yourself, the better you're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another question I want to quickly ask is um, about kind of pro athlete, like recovery methods and stuff like that, whether it's cryotherapy or ice or massage or some of the things that are a little bit poo-pooed when it comes to um, combination of research and clinical practice and the average person. Um, obviously, I believe there's a lot of value in understanding the individual body. And if we could do everything, even that, you know, that middle-aged person who plays tennis once a week could benefit from all of these different types of things. But I know there's still this kind of dichotomy between what people are getting in the professional athlete world and what we think we think and what the evidence shows for some of the clinical stuff. Do you right. have an opinion on some of that stuff? Like, do you see stuff that maybe isn't uh, evidence-based that's working like K-tape or cryotherapy where the evidence isn't strong, but is, you find really valuable? Um, I mean, for pain management, yeah, K-tape's an interesting one and cryotherapy too because pretty much all the evidence shows it's it's literally never been doing what we've thought or, or people have said it's been doing, right? Yeah. In fact, with ice, it's actually probably just delaying our healing. Um, but you'll still watch sporting events, and the first thing someone does is they'll they'll throw like a, a bag of ice on there. And and to a certain extent, I, I mean, I think it's okay. It's a lot of it actually. I think comes down to the individual athlete and what they are comfortable with. Some people hate the sensation of ice at all. And if your goal, I would say, is to decrease swelling, why not just have some compression on there and then try to maintain some some mobility and stuff right i think that's more beneficial but at the same time if someone really likes that that sensation and feels like the, like the analgesic effect and it's going to make them feel better even even if some stuff's placebo great you know i and i think that goes back to the whole like evidence-informed evidence-based thing where there's a lot of stuff we don't really understand but i've seen you know people you know who are taped a certain way and it feels great and is is the tape doing what it's advertised? I don't, I don't really think so. Maybe, maybe it is to a certain extent, but I think it's like a like a tactile sensation. I usually use the analogy of um, if you if you touch a hot element on a stove, the, your first instinct, aside from pulling your hand away, is to take your other hand and squeeze your like hand, right? And, and to me, that's kind of how kinesiology tape and these some other modalities work. Is it's just a tactile distraction from that area that's causing you pain. Mm. Um, so in that sense, even though there's, you know, not a lot of evidence to support certain things, I think it's it's totally fine to use. Even placebo works. Even when people know, they have studies where people know yeah. there's placebo, it still works. Yeah. So um, I think it's, it's it's super important, obviously, to, to be as current as possible with um, the, the evidence and whatnot. But, but clinically... Um, it, it, I think it's a, there are a lot of experience and, and kind of what you've what you've just seen that has worked is probably yeah. the most important thing. Same thing with tests, right? Like ninety percent of these orthopedic tests, you know, when you look at them, like is this actually doing what we're taught that it's doing? And it's probably not, yeah. you know. But um, some of them are great. We still have to kind of incorporate them and, and try and figure out, you know, take the good with the bad and, and just sort of streamline your your assessment and, and your treatment, I guess. I think it makes sense. I think if you have all the time at your disposal, um, you can do a lot of things. But for maybe people who are coming once a week in the clinic for 30 minutes or 60 minutes, you really need to pick the most valuable things, and that might not be throwing ice on them for, right. for 20 minutes or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit kind of 
if, if anyone can do something at home, I, I sort of feel bad, you know, why would you come and see me yep. for a heat pack or mm-hmm. ice or, um, I mean, you can go ahead and get a Dr. Hole machine. Why would you come and see me for IFC? You know, I, I, feel like, I, I feel like I'm kind of doing a bit of a disservice to someone if that's all that they're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good. I mean, I feel like the, those sort of allied sort of healthcare professionals are, are moving away from that. Slowly but surely. Slowly but surely, right? Yeah. Um, all right. I know we're running out of time. So uh, I'm going to go back to the question that Mike Prebeck never asked you. <laughs> okay. Which is, what's five years? What's 10 years? Like, where do you want to go with this stuff? You've, got, you've, you've been to Wimbledon. You've sat, you know, up front in, during warm-ups for U.S. Open. You've worked with some, you know, NCAA track champions. Like, you've been to the Olympics. Like, what... What's the plan? Where do you see yourself? What's coming forward? Do you have anything, any plans or is it just kind of rolling with the, the punches and keeping, keeping the things you're doing? Um, that's an excellent question. <laughs> I, want to keep, I want to keep doing what I'm doing because I will fully admit that um, being able to travel and being able to have these, these experiences, it's, it's the fav- my favorite part of my job for sure. But also I really enjoy the clinical aspect of, of being like in, in clinic in, in Toronto and stuff like that. Um, so I, it's kind of, I, I guess I want to have my cake and eat it too, sort yep. of, um, have the, it's the best of both worlds. Um, I, I, I'd like to continue, continue the consulting stuff. I, I enjoy it, um, with hockey and things like that. You know, I've had a lot of fun, learned a lot, you know, working w- with Gary Roberts and, and his program and, and working with some of these, these other uh, teams and just met a lot of really amazing um athletes but all, just people like generally and i'm not it's it sounds cliche but the, the people i've met are, are really truly outstanding people um and so i really enjoy that but um i don't want to give up the the kind of regular day-to-day practice stuff so um I, I honestly, I honestly don't know. I, this is probably something I should write down. I know Alex <laughs> always talks about, you know, having goals and writing them down five, mm-hmm. 10 year goals. And I'm so bad at that. I, I like to tell myself I'm living in the moment, but I'm probably just putting it off or being lazy or something like that. Just like you did uh, in kinesiology all yeah. years ago. Yeah, there you go. Right. It could be, uh, it, it, maybe, maybe it's just the way that I, I work, you know? So, Hey, uh, if that's the way you yeah. work, whatever you're doing, you're, you're really successful at it. And, uh, and I, I, I'm really excited to see, uh, wherever it takes you next little while, but, uh, I'm really glad you spent the time with me today, and uh, I'm excited to, to see where you go and to stay in touch over the next little while. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's, it's an honor. It's my pleasure. All right. All right. Leave it there.